For more than 35 years, CSG has simplified the complexity of business, delivering innovative customer engagement solutions. With CSG, companies can acquire, monetize, engage, and retain customers. Find out more at www.csgi.com. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Mike Murphy. I'm CTO for Wireless North America Nokia. Well, welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, Mike. It's great to have you here and looking forward to talking about all things Open RAN and thought we could start with what are some of the major benefits for service providers and utilizing Open RAN and perhaps also just the industry at large, because I imagine that other organizations and vendors would also benefit from Open RAN. So what are some things that you're looking forward to there? Well, I think one of the main goals was to broaden the vendor ecosystem and by doing so, giving some of our carriers more flexibility in terms of choices of vendors for the networks. And also with a broader ecosystem, in principle, that should embolden new innovation from having different players involved. And of course, when there's more players, then you typically end up having uh, lower cost points or lower price points to customers. And so that has a follow-on effect to the entire industry, including subscribers. That sounds like innovation and and costs are some big potential benefits there. Yeah. And we're kind of seeing that theme, not just in the RAN, but all across the service provider network, virtualization and other uh, types of sort of software led or software defined, I should say software redefining networks, um, I guess. There's a general view that, you know, the revenue per subscriber ARPU is not going up, but then there's increasing cost because the networks are getting more complex Uh, We're deploying more frequencies. We're going from 4G to 5G and so on. And so how do you resolve all of that into still creating a viable business? And so one of the triggers, one of the solutions for that is looking at open RAN solutions, just having more vendors, better cost points. Now, what's the light reading readers will know that you put out a nice uh, opinion column about some of the limitations of open RAN or some of the concerns you have about open RAN in the last month. I'll make sure and link to it in the show notes. What are some of the, I guess, the limitations of Open RAN as it stands right now? Because this is pretty, you know, this is a relatively new endeavor. Yeah, that's a good question. That article got a lot of reading, by the way. I've been getting <laughs> emails oh. from Germany and Latin America We've, and Asia. No, wow. We've been over the moon. <laughs> we're, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Yeah, that's great. I mean, the principles are good to opening up the system to more vendors, but there's also some challenges along the way. And so the purpose of that article was just to lay them out. It's not saying that we, Nokia, think they're not surmountable. It just takes a little bit of time. And so from the standards perspective, and this is a very important point, by the way, we believe that the whole concept of Open RAN will not follow unless it is based on standards. And standards is really only one credible forum, that's the ORAN Alliance. And within that, there's uh, you know quite a few specifications some are very mature and some even don't exist yet so we don't really have the full suite of specifications at a maturity level that is good enough to build an end-to-end oran compliant system yet so more time is required there another challenge is in looking it's a, it's an important point and one hotly debated is the concept of parity So today we have uh, in networks a set of features, capabilities, such as supporting different frequencies, 
certain throughputs, KPIs, certain security measures that are applied in networks. And so when we move to Open RAN, we need to have at least that, if not better, results from a, a total network perspective. So parity is very important, but it's also very difficult because companies like Nokia and Ericsson have 10 years of development <laughs> in their back pocket that has led to the networks we have today. So meeting parity for some of the, the newer players is very challenging. As we look at Open RAN, there's components that bring net new capabilities to the network, so something that doesn't exist there yet. And there's components, in fact, the biggest component, meaning uh, replacing the interface between the radio unit and the baseband unit, making that open so you can have new suppliers. That actually doesn't bring any net new value. It's uh, what I call replacement technology. So there's value in the sense of new vendors, but it, if you deployed that in your network, you don't become more competitive, for example. I think, you know, some of these aspects are not well understood, but they're very important when you look at the, at the big picture, both in terms of timing and what we need when we actually start deploying OpenRAN. I just want to circle back on that part about the business case for the service provider, because like you said, that's what's sort of motivating this whole movement in general. And any move that they make where it's like openness for its own sake, you're saying is kind of like, it doesn't really, it doesn't really contribute to the business case. You know, it's just sort of, it doesn't lower costs for subscribers. It doesn't lower the cost to deliver service. It simply introduces more vendors at a point in the network. Is that, that kind of what you were saying there? Yes and no. So the, the yes part is um, you're replacing one technology with another technology, or in that sense, there's not something new added to the network. Like as a subscriber, you and I would see no difference. On the other hand, by the virtue of having new vendors in the network, in principle, you're creating competition and competition is both in the sense of cost and potentially innovation. So there's a theoretical advantage from an ecosystem perspective, but not from a strictly from a network perspective. So if, for example, let's say you open ran is suddenly deployed in New York City. It's not like your phone will go from 200 megabits per second to 500. No, that's not <laughs> that's that's not going to happen. Just wanted to see your thoughts. Are there some avenues for operators to still meet their goals, even if perhaps OpenRAN isn't the right fit for them? How do you kind of consult a service provider on this journey and, and help them identify is OpenRAN the right path to go down or should they shift gears and, and focus on something else? You know, with 5G in its own right is a discontinuity, but there are several other discontinuities all happening at the same time. Open RAN is one of them. Uh, virtualization is another. The use of web scales is another. And they're all somewhat orthogonal to each other, meaning they can apply without being coupled to the other one. So, for example, a, a widely held myth is that ORAN equals a virtualized RAN. That's actually not true. And in fact, like in the Nokia case, we'll probably deploy ORAN in a not virtualized implementation first, as well as a virtualized. So each one of these can help operators along that path of providing greater innovation, faster features to market, better business case. And where each one applies or not is very operator specific. So we actually imagine that not everybody will go open RAN and may not apply everywhere. So we'll have this hybrid case where there'll be a mix and match of the best solution at the right place in the right time. 
So perhaps they can still get some benefits from all the um, innovation and developments around Open RAN without going full bore, I suppose. Sure. And uh, if you if you think of Nokia, I mean, obviously, first of all, publicly, we're very supportive of Open RAN. We think it's the right way to go uh, long term. But at at the same time, we're not going to sit back and let new vendors <laughs> into our uh, <laughs> space. So we, we plan to be very aggressive on that innovation mm-hmm. and the cost points and so on. So we plan to be a, a strong player that uh, both for integrated systems and open systems. Integrated systems, there's there's sort of a the downside to it is from the service provider's point of view is obviously is one of control, but it's like, it also depends on who the consumer is ultimately because certain sized service providers don't want the control. I'm sure there are other service providers that don't want anything other than someone else answering the questions and and controlling it. They just, you know, and I I think about it as how people purchase technology individually. You know, I just turn off my brain and buy whatever Apple's selling because I just, I don't want to make the decision. I would rather... Yeah, they're going to inter- they're going to integrate it somehow or another. Eventually, I'm going to get all the features. It might not be first on the block, but who cares? It'll roughly work with everything else I've got. I just don't care at that point. And I, I'm 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 imagining that probably a horrible example, but I'm imagining there's there's some analog to that in the carrier world, but only at networks of a certain size or a certain maybe in a certain geography that sort of thing. Now, sometimes the tone is that integrated is bad and open is good. And that's that's not necessarily the case. I think each one of them has their place. Just like you said, the Apple ecosystem integrated is quite good there. Likewise, integrated gives us some flexibility in the sense of being able to implement things that where we don't have to wait for a standards body to write the specification. It's not that uh, integrated is somehow bad in the long term. There'll be a place for both, like I said, and um, it's incumbent on us to provide great solutions in, in both variations of them. How do you get to a point where Nokia can be both supportive of the open RAN movement as an idea, but also kind of protecting the research and development and the integration and the hard work that it's done in getting 5G, its own 5G systems ready? How do you sort of toggle between those two worlds? Do you kind of take on a different posture depending on what the service provider's needs are? So we're still going to be delivering the same products at a macroscopic level. Uh, the only difference is in an open system, you have what the word means is open to inter- interfaces. The products don't fundamentally change. But I think you gave a great example of the Apple ecosystem, where if you use Safari, things are so much easier on Apple versus using Firefox, for example. Likewise, it wouldn't be inconceivable that you could imagine if you use an Nokia integrated system, you get a few extra benefits that you maybe you don't get in an Nokia open system. So this aspect uh, is still kind of a work in progress, but it, it's not crazy to think that that's how things will progress. What are kind of the next mile markers for Open RAN in terms of it getting closer to that point of being standardized and locked down enough to be a truly open solution? There are a lot of claims today of open RAN systems being deployed. I, I think we would beg to differ a little bit just because not all the specifications are there, as I noted previously. The first part is to complete the specifications, including interoperability specs and conformance testing, so that we have a truly open system where you don't have these private pairwise agreements between vendors required to make a system work. You you need to have it really plug and play. So a little bit more work on the standards. Then the next step is to prove that all those specifications and the products built on them can actually deliver 
to the exact same level as in the networks today. At least for me, it's inconceivable that any operator like a T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon would deploy an open RAN system in Times Square in New York City for New Year's Eve if it wasn't performing at the exact same level or better. In that regard, the incumbents might have a slightly better edge on that because we're not creating from scratch and we have that parity. But even so, we have a new interface. So we need to be sure that everything performs at the same levels in terms of content, the key performance indicators, security, and so on. So that'll be the the next step. You know, we're probably in the range of one to two years away on those things. Specifications probably are quite good next year. Publicly, Nokia, we've said, you know, we'll start early deployments this year, but more complete systems towards next year. Putting all that together, you're looking at towards the end of 22 into 23 when you get a little more broad scale deployments. That's really helpful because that that was going to be my next question was, when can we expect to see some of these things come to fruition? And I did like your example of um, New Year's Eve. It reminded me of some musical performers who didn't go so well. (laughs) You know, no one forgot (laughs) about that. At least I haven't. Um, Yeah, so definitely not the time to uh, test out something that's not quite ready. (laughs) That's right. But I guess the the counter argument is not every deployment is in Times Square on New Year's Eve. (laughs) So. There could be cases where the requirements are slightly more relaxed, especially in private networks, you know, enterprise networks, maybe in rural communities. However, <laughs> sorry for the counter-counter argument, but <laughs> the, the, oh, the bad, part about saying some, <laughs> bad part about saying something like that is if you say, well, oh yeah, we, we can deploy something less good in rural, you're you're actually saying, well, how? Why don't we increase the digital divide? That's not exactly the right thing to be saying. So I think the requirements in rural should be just as stringent as they are in urban. I think I take your meaning in the in the rural networks, but just because of the configuration of the population in certain rural communities, like you, you maybe not wouldn't need like the latest MIMO type radios or something like that, and maybe in that case, an open RAN system w- would get them there technology-wise in terms of the service that the consumer would be experiencing would be exactly what they would expect anywhere else. But maybe the infrastructure is lower cost. And what that sort of means when folks are saying like, you know, well, let's deploy it. Maybe Open RAN shows up first in rural communities. I think it actually might if it if it can keep the cost down, because that's also the other real prohibitive thing there is that the cost of everything going to rural networks because of the sheer space that you have to cover and where those places are, you you just have to keep the cost as low as humanly possible in order to connect people. The difficulty in that argument is um, rural providers are generally don't have as many people yeah, in their operations yeah, yeah. and perhaps not as technical as some of the large providers. So they really need very mature open RAN system. It needs to be dirt simple. And I just don't think we're quite there yet. That's why the, the timing is very important. The thing in the industry in general is, is or is sort of a, I guess, a difficulty about not just open RAN, but open systems generally is like you have that integration of multiple vendors that are suddenly introduced. And then you've also got the kind of the cultural shift to being more, you know, to kind of for the service provider changing their style of development support that sort of thing. It does require a different type of expertise and um, and that and that could definitely be a, 
uh, prohibitive thing. And it's different operationally too. It's, I mean, it's different in many dimensions. So if you think about it now, maybe you write a contract with an incumbent supplier like uh, Nokia for an integrated system. You have one contract, you have one throat to choke. So if you really pursue open RAN to the maximum and have multiple suppliers in your network, then you're looking at multiple contracts <laughs> and multiple skill sets in your teams because now they have to understand the documentation and the parameters for multiple vendors. So it can become uh, complex very fast. So main approach will be to keep it relatively simple and ideally wait a little bit for the maturity to be there. One last question for time purposes. I don't want to keep you too long, but um, since you're CTO of Nokia in North America and in the Americas, from your point of view, from your desk, what technologies are you most excited about for the remainder of 2021 and going into next year? It doesn't have to be open RAN related. I just we get somebody of your title. I can't, can't help but ask them what, what they're working on. <laughs> well, I think for the US, the mid-band spectrum auction that happened and uh, was awarded to each of the providers. Now there's everyone is looking at deploying that. It'll show up more next year because the spectrum is actually only available at the end of this year. That will have a sea change impact from the subscriber perspective because then you'll see the true value of 5G, at least for AT&T and Verizon. T-Mobile had their existing mid-band spectrum from Sprint. So they're, they're a little bit ahead of the game in that regard. But from uh, all sub-base across the U.S., that's probably going to be the biggest change you see coming next year. More from an internal perspective is all these discontinuities that I mentioned, Open RAN, VRAN, and web scales. Everybody's trying to figure out where and when is the right place to utilize all those tools. And so that internally, the networks are starting to experiment with that and look at various options. So we may not see it so much from a sub-perspective, but... Uh, from a network architecture perspective and how they're built, that is starting to change as well. Perhaps those are the biggest ones short term. If we go just a little bit further out, all the true dream of 5G with all those exotic use cases. Mm -hmm. um, Robot surgery. Gonna, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to not sign um, the line for that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I totally trust yeah. you guys. <laughs> no, no, right? Yeah, sure, sure. 5G robotic vaccinations—that'll be—that'll be the killer app. Yeah, I think that I would could. Be I'd be okay with that. I think those will take a little more time too. But um, there's an in increasing number of uh, proof of concepts and trials on different—I call them exotic applications. So some of them will start to firm up towards the end of the year. I mean, there's a few very obvious ones like augmented reality, virtual reality, cloud gaming. But I just got off a call talking about autonomous driving and how can uh, 5G play a role in that. You know, at the moment, it's mostly great PowerPoint, but I think we'll start shifting away from PowerPoint as we get towards the end of this year and start, especially starting next year. Mike, it's, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and hope to have you on again in the near future. Uh, thanks very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Mike. For more than 35 years, CSG has simplified the complexity of business, delivering innovative customer engagement solutions. With CSG, companies can acquire, monetize, engage, and retain customers. Find out more at www.csgi.com.